This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Awesome. At least three of you are great. Oh, it's such a great time to be at church. As I was thinking about our morning together, I was just realizing how that Sunday is a highlight day for so many of us at New Life. It's, it's the peak of our week. It's, it's what we so look forward to. And I just have to tell you, as a pastor, one of the things that I love hearing is when I know somebody that actually got drugged to church the first time against their will, maybe even coerced into coming to church, and then a few years later they tell me, oh my goodness, this church has changed my life. It's my favorite time of the week. I just love that. And so I just want you to know if you're here for the first time today, uh, that could easily happen to you. Not because we're such a great and fabulous church, although I love our church, but because God's that good and because he loves you that much. And we don't come to church to pay our religious tax. We actually come to church to have our lives changed by the only one who can change them, and that's by the living God. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you will connect with the living God, the one who gave you life, the one who gives you an eternal soul, and the one who wants to share eternity with you. My prayer is that you will connect with him to the point that you begin to experience that fullness of life right here, right now. So, Uh, Welcome. My name is Ron. I am one of the pastors on our staff here at New Life. For the next 35 minutes or so, I'll be speaking to you. We're going to be working on how to make wise decisions. And so uh, I don't have to sell you on the value of that, right? Anybody here ever paid the dumb tax on a poor decision? Yes, we have all paid the dumb tax on a poor decision. So we're going to talk about how to up our decision-making game And uh, a couple things that we do every Sunday, we want to make sure that everyone that comes to church is resourced. And there are two resources you can find inside your program. The first is this card, and you'll start by putting your name and your email address on the front of it, um, because then we'll know who to get the resources to. And on the back side, there are places to to, uh, check for information that, that you'd like about certain ministries, or if you want to get involved in one of the ministries at our church. That's what test drive means. Uh, You can test drive a ministry with no strings attached. There's a place underneath that for you to indicate uh, how you're going to apply what I'm teaching today. It's a a next steps sort of thing. And then a place at the bottom for you to submit prayer requests so that the staff and I can be praying with you this week about what's going on in your life. The second resource is the, the teaching notes sheet. I want to encourage you to fill that out as we go along. Uh, Every Sunday at New Life is a learning time. And so you're going to learn some stuff today. Hopefully, you're going to to get some insight into how you're wired up. And uh, when you get ready to make a decision, you're going to learn some of the triggers that go off on the inside of you and some of the tension that you feel and why you feel that tension. And the goal is that you would better understand how God put you together 
you'll better understand the process that goes on inside of you every time you make a decision and that you'll be able to leverage that information in a way that enables you to make decisions that leads to a life that you don't regret. Because we've all had some of those other decisions that lead to a life that, wow, for a while, we, we certainly regretted. Here's what you need to know. Okay, This is in a teaching series called Weird, which is just sort of weird when you come to church, right? But there's a reason why we're talking about weird. And as Kevin likes to say, um, we are doing weird because normal doesn't seem to be working. And I totally agree with him. Uh, normal says that half of the people in our audience who get married will end up with a broken marriage. I would say that's not working. We can do way better than that. Normal would say that a significant percentage of those of you who are parents of young children will go through periods of great alienation from your children. And and, and I'm sorry to say, many of you, if you're normal, will experience a broken heart because of one or more of your children. I want to say we can do better than that. And we should do better than that. And so we're going to make an investment this morning in, in how we make decisions so that hopefully we can up that, so that we end up with a life that we love and not one that we regret. So here's a principle I want to teach us, and it goes like this. I'm borrowing the language from the world of recovery. One of the things they say in recovery is insanity is doing the same thing you've always done, but expecting different results. I want you to know in the light of this teaching series, insanity is doing the normal thing and expecting extraordinary results. You're all bright people. If you do the normal thing, what kind of results will you get? Normal. Yeah, sure. But we have this delusion that if I could just do what everyone around me is doing, but get different results, that would be awesome. Okay? Which brings up a very interesting question because there's a tension that we walk in oftentimes. I would say multiple times every day we walk in this tension. You ever play the would you rather game? Here you go. Here's the would you rather game. Would you rather be right and be socially marginalized or be wrong and be socially affirmed? You know what that's called? Peer pressure, right? And we never grow out of that. And the interesting thing is Many of us take our cues in life from the people around us because sort of what goes on on the inside of us is we want to be socially accepted so we don't stand out or do anything too weird. And sure enough, everybody thinks we're just the greatest person because we don't challenge any of the accepted norms and we don't push any of the accepted limitations when it comes to things that we should be doing. And in the end, we are socially affirmed, but we end up with the exact same results everybody else is getting. I want to challenge us this morning to dare to be different, to dare to be Weird in the good sense. And we're going to talk about how we're wired up and, and, and how all that stuff works. But let's start with two foundational understandings. And the first one is this, okay? And that is our decisions 
determine our destiny. Right now, I want you to think of a decision that you made in life and you just think, man, that is one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. You got it? Got it locked in? Yeah, it probably didn't take you long to figure that out. Now, I want you to think about another decision that you made that you rude. <laughs> that, that if you could make that decision over again, you would certainly make it different. And in some cases, it may have taken years for you to recover from that decision. I realized as I was making this, as this sermon that actually two of the most important decisions in my life I made before I was 18. Actually, the two most important decisions in my life I made before I was 18. I made the decision to walk with Christ when I was 12. Changed my life. And I'll tell you about the other one in a minute. But I want to tell you about a decision I made that was not so great. It was a few years ago. We were at the Iowa State Fair with my family. Born and raised in Iowa, so uh, I just happened to be back there at the State Fair time, which was in the middle of August. And if you've ever been in Iowa in in the middle of August, it's like 100 degrees and 100% humidity. It's like you live in a massive wet sauna. And uh, so we were up at the State Fair, and the sun was baking down, and it was about midday, and I was by myself. Our family had all split up. We had all gone to, to the various things that we wanted to go to, and I was walking around outside looking at the various displays, and all of a sudden I realized, man, I am getting really, really, really hot. And I'm starting to feel a little nauseated and Maybe I'm getting too hot. I need to do something to cool down. And I looked over here, and there was a vendor who was selling these massive sodas, right? And I'm thinking, wow, I am. I could use a massive soda. So I went over, and I bought my $8 soda, right? Because it was at the state fair that probably cost them a quarter. But I bought my $8 soda, and I started swigging on that thing, And I walked into the Varied Industries building, and all of a sudden, the world started going round and round. And and I found a stool, and I sat on the stool, and the guy, the the, the stool was actually part of a display, and the guy that was running the display walked up, took one look at me, and said, you don't look very good. I said, well, I feel worse than I look, I'm sure. Um, Long story made short, I ended up in the hospital. And one of the things that I came to understand is when you're overheating, and you're dehydrated, soda's not a good idea. It sucked all the water out of my tissues, and I was getting ready to pass out. A really bad decision, right? Now, hopefully I've learned from that and and won't repeat that. But I want to talk to you about a great decision I made. I was 17 years of age. I was a senior in high school, and there was a new girl who moved to town, and she was beautiful, and she was cute. And she was loaded with personality, and she had a lot of drive, and she had a lot of vision, and and her heart fully belonged to God. And she was so unlike a lot of the other girls that I knew in that she was not boy crazy, and she didn't swoon every time she saw, you know, a handsome-looking guy, and she didn't run after and flirt and all that stuff. But she had some real substance, and I said to myself, I want to date her. And at 17... March the 14th, 1969, we had our first date. And 46 and a half years later, we're still dating. Yes, yes. 
You know, decisions determine our destiny. But, but I want to talk about another decision that sort of sneaks up on the backside of us, okay? And that is sometimes we, we, we understand that decisions determine our destiny, and so we're afraid to make a courageous decision. It's a tough decision, but it's actually a good decision, but it's going to take a lot of courage, okay? Here's what I want you to know about that. Not deciding is deciding. Chances are there's a person or two in our audience this morning that's involved in an abusive relationship. You may be married, you may not be married, but you're involved in an abusive relationship and on the inside you keep telling yourself, I should get out of this, but you don't. Because you're afraid to make that decision. Can I tell you, not deciding is deciding. What you're actually deciding is every day you get out of bed, you're actually deciding to re-enter that relationship. And you're paying the cost for not making that decision. Because not deciding is the same as deciding. You may be in a workplace that's caustic and toxic and it's dragging you down but it still gives a paycheck. And so you're afraid to make the decision to go find a job elsewhere. I want to give you a process this morning to take that decision through so that instead of being paralyzed by your fear, you can be liberated by the understanding of how to make that decision correctly. Are you on board with that? Yeah, that's what we're going to look at. How to make that kind of a decision because not deciding is deciding. Now, what does God say about decisions? Here's what God says. The plans, and I put in brackets, that, that's sort of code for wise decisions, okay? The plans of the diligent lead to profit. In other words, these are things that work. These are things that lead to success and fulfillment in life, and that's really what we want our decisions to do, to move us along on the road towards success and fulfillment. As surely as haste, you know what that is? That's code for poor decisions, and we've done that before, right? Yes. Leads to poverty. You know what that is? That, that's failure and struggle and disappointment in life. So God says, look, I, I want to show you how to make the kind of decisions that lead to success and fulfillment. There's a second passage in the book of Proverbs where God says this, there is a way that seems right. You know what that is? That's code for normal. It's, it's code for that's what everybody else is doing. It's code for that's what all of my friends are telling me to do. There's a way that seems right or normal but sometimes, in the end, it leads to death. Not necessarily physical death, although it could do that, but even more importantly, the death of our dreams in this life. It's really easy to illustrate in, in the terms of marriage because the truth is, if you date like everyone around you and you get married like everyone around you and you do in your marriage what everyone around you is doing, you have a 50% chance of ending in divorce. Would you like to get those odds in your favor? Yeah, sure. 
Well, then you can't date like everybody else dates. And you can't do in your marriage what everybody else is doing in their marriage. Or those are going to be your odds, okay? There's a way that seems right in the sense that everybody's doing it. But you know something? We can do better than that. Do you agree with that? Yeah, we can do better than that. God enables us to do better than that. So how would that work? Well, that leads us to the third passage, and that's this. Trust in the Lord. You know what that means? It means to leverage God's perfect wisdom. I was going through some stuff in my office, and somebody gave me a little thing years ago for a birthday or something, or Pastor Appreciation Month or something. I don't know what it was, but I'll never forget what it said. It said, the man who walks with God always arrives at his destination. You know what I, that's code for? When I make a God-guided decision, it works 100% of the time. Wow. Trust in the Lord. Leverage God's perfect wisdom with all your heart. And then he says, I don't want you to do the opposite of that. Don't lean on your own understanding. Sometimes it's an understanding. Sometimes it's just a gut feel. I can't tell you how many times people come into my office and they're lamenting some circumstance in their life. And when we look at how they got in that circumstance, they they just followed their gut. Or they did what everybody else is doing. God says, whoa, time out. If you want an extraordinary life, okay, then you've got to learn to trust in me more than you trust in your own understanding. So, why is it we tend to lean on our own understanding? This is where it gets a little interesting. If you were here uh, a couple of months ago, I used this little Russian doll to illustrate something about us. And I'll I'll review that for those of you who weren't here. Um, This is our body. We all got one. It's what people most closely identify us with. It's how they know who we are. It's how we look. It's all that kind of stuff. That's our body. But if you look inside our body, there's more to us than a body. There's a soul. And the soul is a lot deeper and much more definitive about who we become And in fact, when the Bible says, guard your heart with with all the diligence you have because your life proceeds from from your heart, it's actually talking about your soul. And we'll take a look in a minute at what that looks like. But deep down inside you, deeper than your soul, is a part of you that is your spirit. And, And this is the part of you that's most nearly made in the image of God. And this is the part of you that God uses to talk directly to you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So I put a chart in your notes and we're going to fill out that chart because we're going to see how these all interact when it comes to making decisions. So we'll start up here with our spirit. And then this is our soul. And down here is our body. And those are the three parts of us that the Bible talks about, that we are made spirit, soul, and body. Now, most people who study this agree that the soul actually has three parts. One part is your mind, a second part is your will, and a third part 
are your emotions. Now, there's a reason why this everything else is a box and that's a crown. And that's because your will is your decider. Wherever the will goes, that's what you do. When we talked about decisions determine your destiny, it's your will that actually determines your destiny. Your will is king in your life. So when you have a decision to make, okay, two things usually happen, all right? You end up with what I call two lobbying coalitions. This one up here, your spirit and your mind are very rational and they're very reasonable. And your spirit and your mind will usually tell you what you should do. Okay? So in your notes it says, I should. Your emotions and your body will usually tell you what you want to do. Is there ever a difference between what you should do and what you want to do? Like all the time, right? Easiest way to illustrate that, the alarm goes off. When the alarm goes off, the first to respond is usually your body. And your body said, why would you disturb me? (laughs) This is feeling great. There is no reason for us to change the current circumstances. Right? And about that time, your emotions kick in, and your emotions say, oh yeah, if you get this body up, you know how you're going to feel? You're going to feel foggy, you're going to feel tired, you're going to feel grumpy. You don't want to feel all that stuff, do you? No, no, right? But then somewhere along the line, your mind jumps in, and if it's Sunday... Your mind says to you, but this is the day we go to church. And then your mind and your spirit start working together, and the spirit will say to you, oh yeah, this is the day you connect with God. And then your mind and your spirit will go down here and start to try to pull these this direction, right? So they will say to your emotions, remember how you feel when you go to church? Remember how you learn? Remember how good you feel? Remember how wonderful those people are? Wouldn't it really be wonderful for you to get up and go to church? Yeah, right. Your mind and your spirit are trying to pull these this direction. Now, your body's not going to give up right away. Your body's going to say, oh, yeah. Remember last week? That sermon stunk. That was a total waste of time. No offense, Kevin. (laughs) Really wasn't about Kevin. (laughs) He's probably watching, though. Yes, right? So your, your, your body's not going to give up. Now listen, there's an interesting thing that happens. When, when this group wins, and it reaches down, and it pulls your emotions up, and it pulls your body up, and your will makes the determination, you're going to get out of bed, you're going to take a shower, you're going to put on your clothes, and you're going to go to church. You know what we call that? That's called Wisdom. We make a wise decision. We invest in something that's good for us. But when these guys win, and by the way, your body's not evil and bad, and your emotions are not evil and bad, okay? They have a good place. Usually your emotions are there to motivate you to do something, but if you do 
exactly the first thing that you feel like doing, usually it's it's fueled by your body. You're you're <laughs> you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, right? You have an emotion, right? I've just been violated. And your body says, I can handle that. Where's the horn? And that might be your best response, right? You probably have others that are worse than that, all right? Honest to God, when I was a, a high school student, I used to sit and dream about having a writer board on the back of my car that I could just talk and it would say what I wanted to say. All right. Never mind. Don't invent that. The world would be a worse place if you did, all right? So anyhow, these guys want to take over. When they do, and they reach up. Now, they they can't do the will on their own. They have to somehow start dragging this stuff down to where they are, right? When they win, and your body and your emotions say, yeah, that was a total waste of time, and you don't want to do that again. Besides, there were three people who never even said hello to me when I looked at them when I went to church. What they're doing is they're trying to get your mind to come down and agree with them. You know what we call that? Rationalization. Have you ever had your emotions and your body talk your mind into doing something that you actually knew wasn't right, but somehow you rationalized it? Yeah. Now that's the tension that we live in every single day. It's how we tick. So now the question is, what can we do that puts these people in charge and continually pulls these people up so that our will does what we should do and therefore we live this extraordinary life that has these extraordinary results. I'm going to give you four things. Okay, The first is this. It's important that we pray and seek God whispers. I said to you a while ago, I said that God gave you a spirit, and in that spirit, you have the ability to hear what God says directly, not, 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 not a, a Bible principle through his word, not spoken to you from someone else. You have the ability to receive a message directly from God. And friends, I believe with all of my heart that God speaks to every single one of us far more often than we listen. And he does it directly. There's a passage of scripture that we often read at memorial services. It's the 23rd Psalm. And I just wanted to lift three phrases out of the beginning. I could take the whole Psalm and show you how this works. But three phrases that I know we've all read many times. The Lord is, what's the next word? My shepherd. What does he do for me? He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Those are all direct things that God does in your life and mine if we have trained our spirit to hear. One of the greatest things that you can do if you want to make extraordinary decisions. What did I say a while ago? One 100% of the God-directed decisions you make in life will work. 
that's crazy good. But you can't make those decisions by following your gut. And the place to begin is to get your spirit in God's presence where God can speak to you. It's the number one reason why you should decide to follow Christ with the rest of your life. Because it's on the day that you decide, my life belongs to God, I will follow Jesus for the rest of my life. That's the day that your spirit opens to God and you now, you now have this unencumbered pathway between you and God where he can talk to you. And he will. But you have to pray and you have to seek it. In my notes, I wrote this. It's time for us to do more than read the 23rd Psalm at memorial services. It's actually time for us to live it. Are you on board with that? Yeah. Now, the second thing that we can do is this. we got to do our homework. And there's actually two parts to our homework. And Because you can't just say, okay, God, I'm going to go over here and sit with you, and you just spoon-feed me everything I need to do. Because if God does that, you'll be a spiritual baby your whole life. He wants you to grow up. So you got to do homework. And there are two things involved in the homework. Number one, you have to search God's Word. The Bible clearly says, David writes and says, your Word is a lamp to guide my feet, and a light for my path. There's a lot of wisdom in God's Word that will guide you and me to make wonderful decisions. But if we're not careful, the more we learn from God's Word, the more that these two will gang up together and go find some obscure passage of Scripture that could be twisted in such a way that would enable us to do what we wanted to do all along. That's not what I mean by search. When you go to God's Word and your heart is open and you say, God, I have this decision to make, would you instruct me from your Word? It is assumed that as God guides you through His Word that you will do exactly what He says in His Word and not pick and choose which parts of it you like. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Search God's Word. When people come to talk to me about decisions that they have to make, usually, in fact never, do I just tell them what I think they should do. Almost always I will ask them about a biblical principle, and you know, rarely... Is it a principle that they were not aware of before they came to my office? Rarely does anybody say to me, really? I never heard that before. <laughs> I ask them usually a few questions and they go, oh yeah, I know what I should do. Why? It was in there all along. Okay, All I did was I just sort of put a little light on what they already knew. Why? Because they had enough information from God's Word to actually know what they should be doing already. They might have needed some help with the courage to do it. That's a whole different deal, okay? The second thing is to seek wise counsel, okay? Now, we all have a tendency at certain times to do what's underneath that, and that is the way of the fools seems right to them. So you know what we do? We go find other fools, who will agree with us. And by the way, if you're a fool, looking for a fool, you do not have to look far. There is an abundance. 
Okay? So the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. By the way, I'm going to give you a chance to memorize that and suggest that that's a great verse to memorize so that you don't have to keep paying the dumb tax in life. Right? So do your homework. Search God's Word. Seek some wise counsel. The third thing you got to do is you have to dare to be weird. You have to realize that when you, when you pray and you seek God whispers, and when you search God's Word, and when you seek wise counsel, that oftentimes the decision that you make is going to look different from the normal decision that people around you are making. And, and I wish I could tell you that, it, it, that in the church, everybody would be making these great decisions. But even in the church, there are people that will look at you like you're a little weird. It takes courage to dare to do what isn't normal. I'm going to challenge some of you, and I want to tell you right up front that I had a lady stop me last week in the hallway out there, and she was talking about this, and she said, please illustrate this this week. So blame her, not me. No, that's not true. Okay. Here's the deal. She said, the first time you taught this principle, I thought you were just mean. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't really know. She said, please tell people. Okay? I want to talk with you, especially those of you who have children um, that are still living in your home that are high school and below. I'm not talking about kids that come back after college, all right? But uh, that's another subject for another day, all right? So for those of you who have kids that are high school and below and they're living in your home, okay? Um, Several centuries ago, scientists believed that the earth was the center of the solar system. I find that amazingly ironic. Why wouldn't we assume that we are the center, right? We we all tend to have that sort of feeling from the day we're born anyway, Um, yeah, change my diapers, feed me, I'm hungry. Yes, that, that's how we're born. There was only one problem, and that is when you tried to make the earth the center of the solar system, none of the mathematical calculations would work right. It just didn't work. Until some guys figured out, oh, the sun is the center of the solar system, And once they decided the sun was the center of the solar system, then all of a sudden everything calculated out right and it worked. Here's my challenge to you. When it comes to your family, and specifically your family calendar, what's at the center of your world? Because depending upon what you put at the center will determine whether it works or it doesn't. Now, let's take a typical family. The parents work, the kids go to school. All right? So you might think, well, yeah, it's work and school at the center. No, let's take that time and set it aside because I'm assuming that the parents go to work and the kids go to school. I want to I know, in the one-third of your life that you're not sleeping and that you're not at work and your kids are not at school, in that one-third of your life, what's at the center of that part of your life? A mistake that I see people make often 
if their kids are athletic, they put their children's athletics at the center and all the rest of the family calendar has to revolve around that. We've got tournaments this weekend and next weekend and the week after that. We're traveling here and we're traveling there and guess what they do? They go up here and they reach up here and they pull this down and they say, oh, this is good family time because we're going to all these tournaments together. No. That's actually not good family time. It's family activity, but it's not good family development time. I see other people put other things in the center. The list could be quite long. And then when their children leave home and their children are ill-prepared for adult life and they're not involved in any ministry and they don't seem to be directed toward God and when they go to college, they don't go to church and then they end up dating someone the parents disagree with because the value system is all skewed, that's when the parents end up in my office and say, well, you know, we went to church And I don't say this to them, but I want to say this to them. Do you realize that in the formative years of your children's lives, junior high and high school, you were gone three out of every four Sundays because something else was at the center of your world. And everything had to revolve around this. I don't say that to be critical of anyone here. I say that because I love you. And I say that because I don't want to see you in my office crying. Because you made decisions at this time that were normal for everybody else. And now you're getting the normal results. I want you to dare to be different. To dare to make decisions about your family that other people may be making or they may not be making, but you have actually taken the time to sit with God about that decision and you've taken the time to search God's word and you've taken the time to seek wise counsel and you've made a courageous decision that you know is in the best interest of your family whether other people around you agree with it or not. See, you would rather be right and with some people be socially marginalized than to be wrong and like everybody else. That's the deal. And if you do that, here's number four. I want you to enjoy your extraordinary life. Because, my friend, you will have an extraordinary life. It'll just be awesome. Jesus said, I came that you might have not a, 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 a bits and pieces life, not a piecemeal life. I came that you might have life and have it how? To the full, to the max. I want you to have that kind of life. So here are our next steps, okay? Number one, I said to you already, the number one reason why you should follow Christ with the rest of your life is so you get the inside track from God. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a minute. It's a simple prayer that has to do with the forgiveness of your sins so you could be made right with God so that, that that channel between you and God can be opened. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you. He made it possible for you to have a direct personal relationship with God. Okay? The second thing is 
Some of us are sitting in a job today that's toxic, but we have not had the courage to quit it, and we've actually never taken it through this. We've never actually prayed to God and said, God, give me the direction, and if you tell me to go look for another job, I will go look for another job, uh, and, and I will trust that you're, that you're going to lead me. Some of you may be in, a, in a, an abusive relationship, and, and, and you need to take that to God and get direction from God. Some of you are making decisions about what to do with your children, what to do with your family and all that stuff. And we're talking about what's in the center of your world. You need to take that to God. So uh, action step number two is I have a decision in my life right now I need to take through this process. And by the way, if you check either of the first two boxes, I want to pray for you. If you check the third, it's not a box, it's a circle, I realize that. If you check the third one, I want to pray for you as well. And that is you're going to memorize a verse that will keep you from paying the dumb tax in life. And that is, you know, the, the way of a fool always seems right to him, but the wise listen to advice. I don't want you to have to pay the dumb tax, so memorize that verse, and it will pop up into your mind at the most appropriate times. Let's pray. Father, for those of us right now who are ready to say, hey, I want to have my spirit fully open to God. God, we're making that decision right now. And friend, if you're ready to make that decision, here's the simple prayer. Father, I give my life to you. I trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. I accept your forgiveness and I open my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for the rest of us, would you give us courage to make decisions that are not fueled by our desires and what we want, but they would be fueled by what we should do and that they would come from you and in the end we will find out that they're actually the things we wanted all along. We just didn't know it. And God, we thank you for that and we pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.